0: Love you today. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. I am delighted to be here today. Uh, I too will join your pastor and commend you for uh, braving the elements and being courageous and uh, battling through. And some of you will probably despise shovels tomorrow. But uh, you'll be blessed for it, right? Uh, I come from the land of snow, Wisconsin. So um, I'm driving around town and I'm used to it. And so I talk to people on the phone. I say, hey, it's just beautiful. And they just hang up on me just like they don't even stay on the phone with me I just, i've been hanging I've been people hanging up on me because you know in wisconsin it's all land it's all fields yeah it's all farmland we don't have these beautiful trees that you have and so it just lays there in wisconsin there's just nothing special about it but then you come here and you have these beautiful uh vegetation these trees and it just rests on those trees and uh it's pretty majestic looking it really is but uh sorry to do that to you because you're probably very tired of it by now uh, and that's okay too, but it is an honor to be with you. I'm so thankful that I, you were able to make it and that I was able to make it. Um, I weeped and wailed all the way here. I was in Longview, Longview, Washington, this morning, uh, and there were multiple delays between there and here. I was sweating. I I mean, I went through uh, numerous emotional states on the way here because I was so behind on time. But I am so glad that I made it and you made it and the spirit of the Lord made it. My, isn't this liberty wonderful? So thankful for that today. And uh, I appreciate your pastor. I'm so thankful that he would have me again and his family and all the leadership of this church. And it's wonderful to see you, the church of the living God, as well again. Amen. Um, I am so excited to be your neighbor. I can't wait to be your neighbor. And I'm happy that we have Chick-fil-A. But uh, I am am delighted to be your neighbor. And uh, how many of you know it's not about miles or time, but it's about people. And between here and Tannisbourne there's hundreds of thousands of people, amen. And uh, we need a lot of churches in the Portland metro area. So it's a tremendous honor to return to this uh, wonderful city and labor with you and, and see the tide of the Lord just rise and affect us all, amen. But what we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer that God would just cover uh, the next few minutes uh, with his glory and uh, that he would speak to us. And then we're going to look at a quick video of a city you're very familiar with because it's your city as well. And then I will say a few brief things, but I want to be wise about the time as well, as Pastor said, uh, with traveling home and everything, because I want to preach the word to you today. So if you'd be so kind just to pray with me, we're just going to simply ask God to cover the remaining time that we have and that he would speak to Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, for all of your glory and your power. You are great and mighty. My, what you have already done here in the last few moments to set us free, to bring tremendous liberty in this place. We are so grateful for what you have done, God, and we would pray that you would move, continue to bless and move over the remaining time that we have here today, that your glory would fall upon us, that we would be challenged and encouraged by your word, and we will give you glory for that. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take a look at this uh, video together. We're delighted to be the first appointed Metro missionaries to the city of Portland, Oregon. Portland is a beautiful, vibrant, and diverse community of 2.4 million people. Portland has a rich history since its beginnings in the 1830s near the end of the Oregon Trail. Its shipping and timber industry were major forces in its early economy. At the turn of the 20th century, it had developed a reputation as one of the most dangerous port cities in the world. Now in the 21st century, it is known as an epicenter of counterculture. Its unofficial slogan, Keep Portland Weird, is tethered to that counterculture personality it promotes today. Portland is currently experiencing an explosion of growth with a 1.72% rate of increase in 2014 to 2015. That was 41,000 new residents in one year. To narrow it further, that would be 111 new residents a day. Roughly 60% of the population of the state of Oregon live in the metro area. That includes 80,000 children. This is a tremendous opportunity. Portland has an abundance of natural beauty. Perfect parks, towering trees, the Willamette River that meanders through town, and to top it all off, you have Mount Hood on the horizon. This breathtaking city did experience a spiritual awakening in the early 1900s. That led to every business being closed from 11 to one for prayer meeting. But sadly today, Portland is in a spiritual crisis. 46% of the population is considered unchurched. Over 1.1 million people have not attended a church service in the last six months, except for a holiday or a special occasion. 100,000 people are considered never churched. Our vision and our burden are from God and compelling us to go. We are confident that God is preparing the way for another spiritual awakening in the Portland metro area. We treasure this opportunity to unite with God Pentecostal churches in North America and you to reach the people of Portland with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Partner with us. Pray for us. Believe with us. Believe with us. (laughs) Bye-bye. whenever a pastor was up here a few minutes ago moving under the direction of the spirit and he kicked the devil out of the house the devil went into the media that's why it was all glitchy okay uh, but uh, anyways, uh, it, is, it is exciting to be the first Metro missionary uh, family to the city of Portland, Oregon. And uh, we're just so excited about what God is doing in the city of Portland. And uh, we know uh, through what God is doing here and at other churches in the metro area, there is a great awakening that is occurring. And we're excited about that. Uh, and that's what gives us confidence to share that in that video, is knowing what is currently happening in the metro area. It's exciting what God is doing. And uh, we consider it a great honor to come here and labor with you all It's a bit of a full circle world for me right now The better part of the first eight years of my marriage and ministry was in the city of Portland, Oregon Uh, There in Portland Pentecostals being the assistant pastor there youth leader there and uh, the better part of eight years of our marriage was here We have family here and then God took us uh, to Wisconsin Where we served as associate pastors for a season and then we worked for our organization And then we did some global missions work and you guys were very kind and celebrated and partnered with us some on that And then now God is letting us come back to the city that we love the most and the area that that we love the most, and I thought that was very kind to him. I was very excited when he gave us permission to make application, and we did that. And over the course of uh, several interviews, and in the favor of the Lord, I now stand here uh, on deputation, and that excites me. My family would love to be here. You have a small experience with them in the video. They are in Wisconsin, busy with life, school, and things of that nature. So they're not traveling with me right now, but they do send their greetings and uh we want you to just continue to pray with us as we're in this process and believing that God's going to wrap it up quickly so we can arrive here in the Portland metro area God's been providing everything that we need in order to achieve the goal and the purpose that he's laid before us and we're grateful for that and uh, we have people that are going to partner with us to start this church and, and and there's others in the metro area that are going to give of themselves to help us as well and we're just delighted for that Um, And we appreciate your prayers. As your pastor said, you're already a part of our story. Uh, You've been a, a significant part of that over the last two years and uh, you will continue to do that as we labor together in this city and through your prayers you can continue to play a great part in our story and also as the Lord might lead you as your pastor said you're welcome to continue in our story through a financial partnership there's numerous ways to do that and I won't spend a lot of time there for the sake of time but if you uh, feel led by the Lord to partner with us I'm sure you can counsel me connect with your pastor and he can give you some instruction on that amen we're continuing to pray for you and while I know this is your city um, and that's a beautiful thing I want you to know that by supporting us caring for us praying for us uh, speaking positive things about what God's doing through our family you are a part of becoming a companion and us coming back to this city and we are so so grateful for that amen amen what a mighty God we serve huh I'm so thankful for his goodness and his mercy. It's a tremendous honor to be here. Let's get right into the word of the Lord. I am so thankful for what God is doing around this world that we live in today. Aren't you? I'm super excited about what God is doing here. I can't wait to catch up with your pastor in a little bit and learn of some exciting things that's been happening here since I was here last. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But God is doing mighty things. Now, despite the tremendous things that are happening in this world that we live in today, you still, uh, when you look at it, when you assess it, when you examine it, you can still see that darkness has its claws buried deep in this world that we live in today. There's still tremendous Despair. People are struggling, and they're overwhelmed by many, many challenges in this world that we live in today. And sometimes, as you consider it and you contemplate it, it can be a little overwhelming. When you just consider the task that you and I have been honored with to reach people in on the West Coast, if that's fifty million people, there's fifty million people in California, Oregon, and Washington. Isn't that tremendous? 50 million people that need the revelation that we have, the blessings that we have, the liberty that we felt here tonight. 50 million people. And sometimes as we consider that and we meditate on that, if you will, it can become a little bit overwhelming. But the good news is 50 million people are not in my hands or yours. While God honors us and involves us in his process of reaching them, they are not in our hands. Somebody run an aisle because that's good news. If they were, I would be a mess before you right now to think of me being responsible to have to carry such a load. But they're in the hands of a very capable God, amen? And that very capable God has chosen to plant churches, a church as a whole, right in the middle of the darkness. And through the leading of His Spirit and His power and the liberty that He gives us like we felt here today, we can make a difference in this world that we live in, amen? And the churches that God is choosing to plant in this world they're not just ordinary churches but we are apostolic churches and we function and we enjoy the leading of the spirit and the anointing and authority that comes with that revelation and the spirit and that name we make a difference in this spiritual world that we live in amen we've seen that here tonight and we're not just any church but we're a desperate church We're a church that is desperate to reach the world that we live in. Desperate to give the Lord all that we have. Desperate to be at church on Sunday after 10,000 inches of snow fell on our city. We're a desperate people and we serve a mighty God. Amen? And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about desperation, about desperate measures. There was a man that we'll utilize tonight as our example in Scripture and you can read about him in Mark 10 and 46 through 52 and also in Luke and his name was Bartimaeus and he was often known or maybe referred to as blind Bartimaeus and he was a man that uh, dealt with great infirmity and uh, a blindness and from that he spent much of his life on a roadside if you will and he's begging and he's seeking support because he can't care for himself and there's a whole portion of the gospel that talks about this specific man the bible says when you read about it that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's going through Jericho he's on his last journey to Jerusalem before his life would be consumed Uh, by the activities of that day and on that cross. And he's going through Jericho for the last time on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling, he is passing this man known as Bartimaeus. Near the road Jesus is traveling on, there's this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And when he heard Jesus was coming, the Bible says he started crying out. Many of you are familiar with this. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me now that i just was silent i was very quiet in comparison to him he was crying it out desperately crying out because he wanted the attention of jesus that jesus might move on his behalf and give him a liberty and change his life and so he's crying out the bible says and as he does this the people around him begin to try to silence him don't make a scene bartimaeus please be quiet they were probably not being malicious but hey it's jesus let's you know we want to make a good impression on Jesus. So let's not be foolish, Bartimaeus. And so they tried to silence him some. But what they may not have been realizing was that this Bartimaeus wasn't an ordinary man. This Bartimaeus was a desperate man. He was not going to be easily quieted or silenced because he was being moved by a desperation within him to see change in his life and to see a transformation happen through Jesus Christ. Amen. He was a desperate man. And I think that's very important to understand because there's just something unique about desperate people. Desperation does unique things to you and I, and it sometimes will make us do surprising things. Sometimes it'll make us do foolish things. But in our desperation and in our reasoning, we're going to do whatever we can to find resolution and satisfaction. Even if it seems foolish to others, we do what is necessary to find the peace and the resolution that we need. And this is what Bartimaeus was doing. Whether he appeared foolish or not, he was a man of desperation. He had a need and he knew that someone could give him satisfaction and that someone was Jesus and that Jesus was coming by. And so he just cries out. And as they try to silence him, he gets a little bit louder because he was a man of desperation. Desperation is interesting because it creates interest in us. It creates fight in us. Desperate people are fighters. They do what it takes. They are fighters. When desperation gets a hold of us, it creates a fight in us. Even like today, there was desperation in this house, and and it was moving us, and it was challenging us. It was driving us a little bit deeper today. There was some fight raising up in your pastor today as he started speaking things under the leading of the Spirit, and that was all out of a desperation that we want Jesus. We want liberty. We want to be free. That's the product of desperation. And God uses that. Desperation, I think, is necessary because usually it encourages change in our lives. It's often what's there in order to encourage change in our lives. Desperate hearts, I, I, I thought through this, I may have found this an anonymous statement or something, but desperate hearts provoke the mind to pursue peace even in its weakness. And there's times where you and I, when we get desperate, our heart is desperate, but our minds get very weary. We get tired in our minds and our mind, if you will, wants to quit. But that desperate heart pushes us to go on, to pursue, to fight until we get the satisfaction and what we need. I would only assume that maybe Bartimaeus in his mind was a little uncomfortable because he was making a scene. They were resisting him a little bit. He probably was slightly uncomfortable but his heart was desperate to get a miracle and so he still cried out despite perhaps what he was even thinking himself I think the best teachers and preachers and pastors and worship leaders and prayer warriors are desperate ones you know when I go to church and I get really uncomfortable it's usually when I'm in a church where there's no desperation ever been to one of those churches I get really uncomfortable I get really worried that we're going to have a bad day You know, because I'm i probably going to be way out of line if you're not desperate. You know, it's not going to work. We're not going to jail. But when I go to church and there's desperation, whew, that's nice, isn't it? That's when we have church, when you feel that there's anticipation and expectation. And just, I mean, we're going to claw our way into the glory of the Lord if we have to. That's, that's an exciting, exciting thing. And those times of leaders... If I'm going to have a pastor, I want a desperate pastor. Amen. If I'm going to have a praise team, I want a desperate praise team, not a dead praise team. Amen. Because we're in a church, we're in a world that's desperate. The church should also be desperate in a world that is desperate. Amen. And so this is what I think is the best. And some people think of it this way. Some people only get desperate when they're pushed into a corner. I think that's why sometimes God lets us live in a corner. Because that's the only place that He can birth desperation in us. If we're not in the corner, we're too comfortable. And we, put, we push the cruise button. So He allows us to live in the corner because the corner creates desperation when we feel trapped. All of a sudden now we're desperate and we live for Him like we never lived for Him before. Amen? It happens. I'm guilty these things happen and so it's this bartimaeus he's a desperate man and desperate people do desperate things and the bible says he keeps crying out and then jesus calls his name he tells the people to get bartimaeus and when you read it in the gospels the bible says bartimaeus gets up and he throws his coat off and he begins to run to jesus and when he gets there jesus speaks to him and says what do you want bartimaeus And Bartimaeus says, I want, give me sight. I want to receive my sight. I want to see Jesus. Let me see. Isn't it interesting that while Jesus would have knew what his problem was, even without spiritual discernment, because he's a blind man, he still asks him. Because sometimes Jesus wants to hear us vocalize, go to a place of humility where we will vocalize our need to him. Because that expression is saying, I'm not able, but you are able. And I will surrender to that. And so he says that, and then the Bible says Jesus responds, and Bartimaeus receives his sight, amen, and he is made whole. There's some desperate measures in play here that I want to share with you just really swiftly here today. The first thing that I think is very important when you want to experience a miraculous, the miraculous, when you want to have a miracle, is you're going to have to be like Bartimaeus and do something that's very much a desperate measure, and that is that you will have to acknowledge your problem and your weakness now you might say well how is that a desperate measure well when you look at the world that we live in today that will tell you to never reveal your weakness it's a desperate measure when you do reveal it because most people don't until they have no other choice it's just the way that this world is that we live in And while it seems like a small thing, I would tell you it's a huge thing. I would tell you most people have not gotten the miracle that they need or God will give them simply because they won't just be open about their issue. Because the Bible says God's willing to do the miraculous that he paid the price to do the miraculous to set us free to give us liberty to give us strength I mean it's all positive it's all saying he will do that usually God's not the problem usually the problem is Chad Andrew Williams that's me I'm usually the problem he's rarely the problem he's never the problem (laughs) I think I just called God a problem I don't know But he's rarely the problem. I am the problem. And sometimes it's just my silence. It's my decision out of, I don't know, arrogance or ignorance or or, or shame or whatever it might be to try to tuck things away and hide them somewhere and not share them, reveal them, give them to Jesus. But that's a requirement. It's the first requirement. If you want to experience a miracle, if you want God to bring that favor and blessing into your life, then you've got to be willing to say, here is my problem, God, and I'll be honest with you about it. Amen? Bartimaeus did this. He was, he was not... I mean, everybody already knew what his problem was, but he was more than willing when Jesus said, what do you want? To say, I want my eyes sight. I want to see. To be open about his issue and his problem. And this is often necessary for you and I. It's so hard to be real with God. Isn't it? And that's kind of crazy. Because I know he knows everything about me. And yet I can be guilty of going into his house and being fake. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not smart. What is my problem? But isn't it so hard when you live in a fake world to be real anywhere, but also to be real in the house of God or in the presence of God? It's so difficult, isn't it? But it's so necessary because it's in that transparency. It's in that honesty and in that humility that God can do a miracle for you and I. And so if if you and I make a decision to conceal our problems, God can't reveal his power to resolve our problems and change our life. There's this danger, a few things here. There's a danger in hiding our problems. And the danger is if we hide our problems, we will become them. They will completely consume us and prevail over us. I read an anonymous quote It said, man is not what he thinks he is. He is what he hides. Think about that for a second. So it's very possible that you and I are not who we think we are, but we are what we are hiding from God. That's what we actually are. And you know what? That's why most people know our problems. We think we got it all, you know, behind a veil, And man, we're the best, I mean, we're the best actor or actress there is, and no one knows. And we've been deceived. What we think we are, we're not. And what we really are is what we've been hiding. Think of that with me. That's the danger in it, is that if we're not careful, we'll become that. And it will consume our life. There are two things that we all need. The first thing we all need, no matter who we are here today, we need God to open our spiritual eyes no matter who we are today. Amen? It doesn't matter how long you've served the Lord, there's always this need for God to pull back the veil that we might see something spiritual in our humanity, that we might see something divine. And that applies to the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving. The Bible says that God opened the understanding of the disciples that they might understand what he was saying. That was that spiritual moment where God pulls the veil back and opens their eyes and lets them see something otherwise they could never see on their own. And you and I will always have that need in our life and that weakness of trying to see beyond our humanity into the supernatural and the divine that is in this book. And so we should always remember, no matter, or how much we prevail in our walk with the Lord that we have a need and that is for God to let us see what he has for you and I. To let us see the miraculous, to see what's in this book, amen? And God is willing to do that if we're willing to say, oh God, I'm just human. No matter how hard I try, I am still human. Your ways are not my ways. I don't think like you think, even if I try my best and have best intentions. So God, I need you to do something supernatural and pull the veil back so I can see what you see and I can understand what you are trying to say to me and what you're trying to do in my church and in my family and in my marriage and in this world. And we can never forget that that need is there. I will admit something. It's going to be confession time. I am colorblind. Anyone? I won't ask if anybody else here is colorblind, but I am colorblind. Uh, I have issues. Uh, I think I'm called red-green colorblind is what it is. So certain colors that are made up with red and green, I struggle to uh, recognize, especially when they're very similar. Um, and Recently, they came out with new glasses that will correct color blindness. Boom. Isn't that awesome? So, you just need $400. <clears throat> I'm on a 10-year savings plan. I'm going to get them dudes. But I've seen, I seen online, you know, that people put them on for the first time. And they just start crying. Because they see things so vividly. There's certain times of the year that I really enjoy because colors are more vivid and I see them when maybe normally I would not see them. And I've been... Blessed to go to some great places. One of my favorite places in North America is Yellowstone, and every time I go, I mean, I, I, I literally stand and my jaw drops, and I just I'm just amazed, and I marvel at the creation, at creation, and knowing that God has created it, and He's behind all of it. Its beauty and glory, and that must mean He's beautiful and glorious as well. And I look at it, and I am literally stunned by it. But do you realize I've never really seen it in full color? but one of these days I'm going to get those glasses and I'm going to Yellowstone and I'm going to see it like I've never seen it before and that's what I'm talking about with this word until God pulls the veil back we've never seen it in full color But when we say, God, I'm just humanity, and I will humble myself and admit I can't see it without your help. And when you humble yourself and you say, God, show me what's in here, God will do something that goes beyond our understanding, and he'll pull back a veil. He'll put glasses on your eyes, and you'll see scriptures you've seen all your life, but this time you'll see them in full color like you've never seen them before. Isn't that awesome? That's how great our God is. I'm so thankful that God would do that for you and I. You've probably had that happen already. You ever, I mean, can you recall in your memory a time where you're reading a verse, you've read it 10 times and this time? You're like, "Where'd that come from?" Right? It's like, all of a sudden, boom, you could see something you didn't see before. It was just, by the way, that was a cool miracle. I mean, it really is. You saw something you never saw before, and that's what I'm talking about. Don't forget that if you really want to enjoy all the wonders and the majesty of what's in this book and all the blessings it can bring to your life, then you've got to say, God, I am desperate to discover what's in here, and I also know I can't see it myself, so please do something supernatural and pull the veil back that I might see all the wonders that are in this book. The writer in Psalms said it himself, Psalms 119 and 18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. He says, pull the veil back because I want to behold all the wonder in your book. Amen. The next thing that we must remember, and this again is very simple. We all must be honest about our weaknesses with God. You must be willing to be honest with the Lord about your weaknesses. The Bible is very clear in Isaiah 53. We all go astray. There are moments where we all have a tendency of going astray and getting separated from God's purpose and God's direction and plan for our life. No matter who we are, if we're really honest, we all have moments where we go astray. But God is on standby and he knew it would happen. Because He created you, and He knows you better than you know yourself. And so when you get off track, you have to be willing to say, God, the weakness is prevailing in my life again. And I put it at your feet, and I give it to you once again. Please set me free. Give me liberty again from this Weakness, Whether the weakness is sin or it's a sickness in your body. Maybe your weakness is finances. Maybe your weakness is an emotional thing. Maybe it's a spiritual weakness. But whatever it is, please be honest with the Lord. Don't try to put it away in some secret place because if you do, you'll just become that weakness. It'll prevail over your life and destroy you. But instead, just be honest with the Lord and say, God, this is my weak place. This is my weakness, but I surrender it to you. Like Bar. Bartimaeus, I cry out to you, Lord, and I place it at your feet because I know if I do that, you will give me liberty over it. You will give me strength to prevail once again. So don't make the mistake of hiding those weaknesses from the Lord. If you want God to intervene, you must engage. you must engage God in your life by this desperate measure of admitting your problems to Him. And here's the thing. You may wonder why Jesus would ever want you considering your scars and your problems. But don't forget that Jesus also has scars. It's in his hands. It's in his feet. Probably on his back. He's got scars. He's not afraid of yours. He knows exactly what to do with your scars. He's very interested in your scars and your troubles. And he would like for you to give them to him and he will respond miraculously to that. He knows exactly how you feel. He can simplify. Do that. You guys get that? Keep going with me here. The snow. It's the snow. I blame it on the snow. Sympathize with you, Amen. Because of what he went through, he bore many of the things that you bear and more. So he knows, but he can also empathize with you, Amen. Not only does he feel for you, but he feels with you. Amen. That's how great God is. And he just waits for you and I to submit those things into his hands and he will bless us. The next thing that I would tell you is just don't forget who Jesus is. Amen. Don't forget who Jesus is. I think something unique about Bartimaeus was he knew who Jesus was. He did not just see Jesus as a teacher. I mean there was a great crowd of people with Jesus and I I am almost certain most of those people in that crowd are not fully convinced that he is the Messiah but they do like what he's presenting and what he's doing and so they follow him and some do it under this influence and idea that he's a teacher and others think that maybe he's a prophet or something unique but, but with Bartimaeus it wasn't that way he knew exactly who Jesus was that's why I think he said son of David That was a declaration. He's saying, Jesus, I know your lineage. I know the promises. I know the principles. I know what's been predicted in the Word. And so when he said Jesus, he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was saying, Messiah, have mercy on me. Not teacher or prophet or something else. He says, I know who you are. Have mercy on me. And here's the truth. When you really know who Jesus is, and He comes by your pew, you will not be silent. You will cry out to Him. You will identify that. You will exalt him in order to get his attention. And that's what Bartimaeus was doing. He was exalting Jesus by saying, son of David, saying, you're the Messiah. I know your lineage. Don't forget who Jesus is. That's the unique thing about desperation. It will not only move you to learn about Jesus, but to discover who Jesus is. And when you discover who He is, then you know He can handle anything that comes our way. Amen? Whether it's in our body or our spirit, He can handle it because He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All glory and power is in Him and His name. And when you understand that, you have church a little bit different differently. You go through your trials a little bit differently. You deal with the devil a little bit differently when you really know who Jesus Christ is. So I challenge you, take time to get to know who Jesus is. Take time to discover through the help of the Lord who he is, the power in his name, because when you get a hold of that revelation, it'll change the way you live your life. And the way that you deal with crisis, Amen. And so he cries out, "Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me." And it gets the attention of Jesus. I'm so thankful that that is what happened. The next thing I'll tell you: refuse to be quiet when you're desperate. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter. You're not going to be silenced. You don't care if everybody thinks that you're the crazy worshiper. Doesn't matter because you're desperate. You need something. You want something. And you're happy to be the crazy worshiper because the crazy worshiper is usually the blessed worshiper. Amen. That's right. The reason why they have time to stand around and criticize your worship is because they're not in his presence, but you are. Amen. Amen. But the point is that when you are desperate, you can't be silenced. You are just like Bartimaeus. doesn't matter what anybody says. You're on a mission to get what you need from your Savior, knowing He's able to provide. Amen? And so you will not be silenced. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 6-8, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, He careth for you. Verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is working overtime to silence you, to quiet you. He's a roaring lion, but I mean, I don't know of anybody that's ever been killed by a roar. All he is, is a roaring lion trying to operate with temptation or intimidation to convince you to be quiet. You want to know why? Because the Lion of Judah, not the roaring lion, but the Lion of Judah is walking around this earth listening for people who are crying out for him. And when he hears you cry out, he comes to rescue you, not destroy you. And so this roaring lion on the other side of the spectrum is trying to quiet you so that the Lion of Judah cannot find you. The Bible says that we cry out out to the Lord. I've got a couple of scriptures here that talks about it. Psalms 34 and 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open until their cry. He's listening. 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. There's something powerful about your cries. That's why the enemy would like to convince you to be silent because he knows that your cries are getting the attention of the Lion of Judah and that lion will come and rescue you. Will do something miraculous for you. So I challenge you, please, in your crisis, do not be silenced, but be loud, be confident, speak with boldness and conviction, because Jesus will hear you, and He is eventually going to come and rescue you for your peril and your crisis. So do not be silenced. People will try to silence you. Religion will try to silence you. Traditions will try to silence you. But I have good news for you because this is not a traditional church. This is a biblical church and biblical churches know how to shout out unto the Lord. So you're in a good place to cry out for your savior and he will return to you and bless you. Amen. So be persistent. Don't stop crying out. There's power in your cry. There's influence in your cry. It moves the Creator of heaven and earth to come to you. It gets His attention, so please do not stop. But let that desperation in you build up some fight in you, and let that fight move you to cry out with all that you have unto the Lord, and He will come, and He will bless, and He will touch your life. The next thing I'll say is demonstrate your desperate faith. You may come to the music. Demonstrate your desperate faith by throwing your past, your habits, your reputation aside. The Bible says he threw off his garment. I've heard this said many times. Not new, but he threw off his garment. You know, there was a lot wrapped up in that garment. He'd been wearing that garment all his life. People smelled that garment and they knew Bartimaeus was nearby. Do I have a coin in my pocket? Because he's asking for money. It's the truth, right? They saw that garment. It was immediate. That's blind Bartimaeus. There was a lot of identity wrapped up in that garment. A lot of things that disgusted him and disappointed him that he was tired of in that garment. And before his eyes were ever open, the Bible says he got up and he threw the garment off. It was a tremendous declaration that I'm about to be changed and I am not going to allow anything that it disgusts me from my past to remain in my life. I'm going to take it off and put it right here. Amen? And so sometimes we don't like our past. We don't like the addictions, the old behaviors, the terrible decisions we made, the things we looked at with our eyes, the places we went with our feet. Those things we don't like that identify us with something, that associate us with something. Well, if you're desperate and you know Jesus can take care of your problem, then when He does cry, eventually call your name, then you're going to say, uh-uh, I'm not carrying this junk around anymore. I'm getting rid of it because Jesus called my name, which means He's about to set me free and do something mor- miraculous in my life so i don't want the old garments because i'm not going to smell that way anymore i'm not going to behave the way i used to behave when i wore that coat and i'm not going to look the same anymore i'm about to be changed it's a beautiful demonstration of your confidence in the lord when you're willing to run to him and say here is everything and i'm leaving it right here and that is a decision you have to manage Because on Monday, you'll want to pick it back up. And you'll want to pick it up on Tuesday. But no, 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 no. My life has been changed. It was a landmark moment. I see as though I've never seen before. I'm not picking that up anymore. The last measure. We must understand that oftentimes it's now or never. I I feel like that that was a big motivation for Bartimaeus. I I don't know that Bartimaeus knew it was the last time Jesus would walk by the road. I don't know how many times Jesus has walked by the road, but I know Jesus had been in Jericho before. And Bartimaeus was probably on the side of the road when he came before But something about this time, something got a hold of him
1: and said, it's now or never.
0: I'm going to get what I need right now or I may never, ever get it. And I think that's something that needs to get a hold of our spirit. It needs to get a hold of our prayer and our praise and our worship and even our giving. And the way we treat people, we need to say, right now, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to get everything I can, or it may never happen. How much would that change a worship service? If everybody in the church came in and said, it's now or never, go. Wouldn't that change things? That would change things. It would be amazing. We saw that today. Many of us were. Going at it today. Look at the reward and the benefit and the blessing. But it's now or never. Vance Havener uh, said this. He's a writer and he said he made this statement. He said, The tragedy of today is that the situation is desperate, but the church is not. Think about that with What a tragedy it would have been on that day if Bartimaeus was not desperate. And he said to them, Oh, there's next Sunday. Because the annals of history say it was the last trip Jesus took through Jericho. And sometimes we're guilty. I'm tired. I'll get it next Sunday, Pastor. That's a dangerous decision to make. I know three or four people personally in the last two weeks that passed from this world they will never have another Sunday I mean it's a dangerous decision when the glory of the Lord and the power of God is present and he's willing to do something miraculous it's pretty dangerous to say you know what I'm going to keep this one tucked away in the secret place I'll give it a shot next Sunday the better choice is to say man now or never Pastor, I'm going to be more committed now than I've ever been. I'm, I'm going for it. This is I'm going to have that spirit of desperation and determination. And for me, from here on out, man, it is now or never. When we have church, I'm giving it all I've got. The Bible says in Ephesians, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days are working against us. Would you stand with me? So you and I must redeem the time. There's no question, not just every Sunday, but every day there is a mighty God on standby waiting to do something miraculous in your life. And often the hindrance is not Him, but it's just our determination and our attitude a lot of times. And whether we're just relaxed and complacent or whether we're like Bartimaeus and saying, man, it is now or never. I'm getting my financial blessing now or I'm never going to have it. I'm going to get that miracle now. I'm never going to have it. I'm going to cry out now like I've never cried out before because in my spirit, it's now or never. Now I want the miraculous. I will say to this, to you in this closing, you know what? Jesus engaged in desperate measures So that someday He could do something miraculous in your life. I think we should do the same. I'm not sure of anything more desperate than a lamb, a spotless lamb climbing on an ugly, old, rugged cross. Is there anything more desperate than that? The humility, the shame, the nakedness, of that moment and yet he was innocent but look at the desperation in that to become your savior and to someday open your eyes and do something miraculous in your life I think it's only appropriate to respond to God's desperation with desperation ourselves and say God my reputation doesn't matter These earthly things that are going to perish someday don't matter. But what matters is my relationship with you. What matters is liberty. What matters is victory. What matters is your glory. And what matters is this one moment that I have on this Sunday afternoon that I may never have again. And I'll do whatever it takes, God, for you to stop and speak into my life and touch me. Can we pray for a moment? Jesus, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy. God, You are so great and so mighty. Let Your Spirit capture us right now, God. Let the tone and the the spirit of the message today get hold of our hearts right now, God. Because you're willing to do something miraculous in our life. You're willing to do something miraculous in this place. But we've got to get a hold of that same attitude. We've got to be willing to say, God, here's my weakness, here's my faults, here's my failures, God. We've got to be willing to cry out to you, not be intimidated, but to cry out to you, God, to humble ourselves and lay ourselves at your feet that you might come by. I know that you are great, God. I know that you are mighty. I know that You are capable of bringing peace today, of healing our bodies, of providing for us financially, of allowing us to see things the way we've never seen it before, because we know who You are, Jesus. So as You come through this place today, God, we say, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want an encounter with You. I want to be changed today, God. That's my attitude, it's my desire, it's my heartbeat, oh God. Change me today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have a need today in your life, if you want God to do something special for you, this is your moment. Let desperation get a hold of you. Come to the feet of Jesus. You don't have to admit your weaknesses to me. I'm just a man. But you can lay them at the feet of Jesus at this altar today. And He can do something miraculous. For some of you that's holding on to your past, why don't you come up here and throw it at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm done with that coat. My life has been changed and I will not be that person anymore.